Hey guys, welcome to New Life Manitou. My name's Brett, I'm one of the pastors with New Life at Large, and I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm not the pastor of um, New Life Manitou, that's Joe Kirkendall, the good Reverend Dr. Joe Kirkendall, and he is, um, he's in Alaska, um, leading a trip, a mission trip up there, and they'll be back, I think, middle to late of this week. And so I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, let's pray as we begin. So Jesus, we settle our hearts and we center ourselves. We've been going and going. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So we ask this morning that you would fill us up with life. I've prepared words, but my words don't raise the dead. They don't change lives. They don't save the world. And so we ask that by the power of your spirit, we've been singing it already, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, come and change us. Fill us up with yourself. We ask that you would come and speak, Lord, for your children are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Um, We've been in a series uh, walking through the book of Proverbs, some of the wisdom literature of the Bible, and we've been asking just kind of big questions that we all like are, feel too stupid to ask one another, like even your close friends or family, you're like, I should have this down by now. I should know like how to find love or how to manage my money or, you know, whatever. And, um, and so we, these are the questions that we typically find ourselves like Googling, you know, like what if anonymous people that I don't know on the internet said about this? Um, and today we're going to be asking a really big question that a lot of us have been asking uh, well, I think you've all been asking it every day of your life since like your frontal lobe developed. And it's this question, how do I enjoy life? <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. That's, that's what we're wanting, isn't it? We're like walking through life and we're like, how do I enjoy this? This, this feels hard a lot of times. This feels like, is, is it supposed to be this hard? And so um, for some of us, it might be a tremendous surprise that uh, divine wisdom actually speaks into this, actually has an answer to this. I grew up in a um, pretty typical, traditional, evangelical youth group. I mean, picture, you know, stereotypical youth group with pizza and, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. And, and that, that was what I was involved in. And if you walked in, if you just happened to be the kind of person who wandered into this youth group, and if you just popped in a couple of times... Um, you could be forgiven for walking away with the impression that um, we were always talking about how to not enjoy things. It's what you could be like. It felt like, what does that Christian youth group down the road do? Oh well, we we hang out sometimes. We uh, there, a lot of times there's pizza. And sometimes we play like a messy game with like shaving cream and stuff. Oh, and then we talk about how to not enjoy things. It's, <laughs> you could be forgiven if you miss it. Like, like they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't have sex while they're dating, and they make a really big deal about like sex 
secular music and like rated R movies. <laughs> Except for the Matrix. The Matrix for some reason like just slipped right on. Can I get a witness, right? The Matrix just slipped right under the radar. So if, if you had popped into our youth group, you could have been forgiven for thinking that Christians are big on not enjoying life. If that's you, then you'd probably think that, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and throw the proverb up, that this proverb about is probably the best one we could speak about today. If you find honey, eat what is sufficient for you, lest you have your fill and vomit it out. <laughs> There's some tasty stuff out there in the world, golden gooey, glistening goodness out there. And in this mortal coil, young youth, as you traverse the weary land of existence, you may stumble across something that is actually enjoyable. If you can't avoid it altogether, whatever you do, make sure you only enjoy it to the bare minimum. Eat only what is sufficient. Otherwise, things don't go well. Your soul will vomit. You'll be the wretch that you are, you will be retching. You know, I, I liked that one. Um, <laughs> Over the centuries, uh, Christianity has accumulated some sort of puritanical rep reputation, Puritan kind of like, uh, as being like deeply suspicious. Even the Puritans, the best of them aren't doing this, but the reputation has been gathered of being deeply suspicious of pleasure or enjoyment or, or sensual experiences, as if Christians are the people who look at Honey, honey is a metaphor for whatever you want. Uh, and look at honey and think, the only way I eat this is if, is if gruel isn't an option. <laughs> like I, I want to go the hard way. I don't want anything that's actually good and satisfying. And, and so the first thing we need to do uh, in a sermon about enjoying life is to recognize that God wants us to enjoy life. He does. Um, if we're talking about golden, glistening, gooey goodness, we should probably start with Proverbs 24 instead of Proverbs 25, where Proverbs 24 says, my child, eat honey, for it is good, and the dripping of the honeycomb is sweet to your taste. The sages of Israel say, eat honey, eat honey, for, for it is what? It's good. <laughs> it's tov. It's good. Oh, the, the experience described by the sages of Israel, like as they're describing it there, that proverb is, is sensory, right? The drippings of the honeycomb. It's, it's like sensual almost. It's physical. It's immediate. The gooey gold dripping off the comb and it's sweet to the tongue. The honey tastes good because the honey is good. It is good. And this is not like a strange one-off proverb like that's actually in tension with the rest of the Christian story. No, listen to the way that the Bible begins. This is page two of all of our Bibles. Um, and Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man 
whom he had formed. And Yahweh God caused to grow every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good. It was tov, tov for food. Verse 16, and Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, from every tree of the garden you may freely eat. I, I like I don't really like the translation of you may freely eat because this is actually the same verbal construction as later in the next verse where, where if you disobey in a certain way, you will surely die. It's the exact same like verbal construction. Um, and so it, you, you will freely eat. Yahweh God commanded Adam, the, the human. And what does he command? He wants them to achel. He wants them to, it's actually the same verb twice. It's uh, put together. It's the ahol tohel is what it says. It's right together. It's, it's um, the verb twice is a way of intensifying what's being, like you will surely eat. You will freely eat. You will eat. I like the way the common English Bible actually, it's a great translation. Uh, the common English Bible translates it here. says, eat your fill. Eat your fill from all of the garden's trees. That's a really good way of intensifying the verb to eat. Eat your fill. And so let's be clear about this. We need to say it this way. The first command in the Bible is eat your fill of goodness. That's the first command that the Bible gives from the mouth of God. (laughs) Eat your fill of goodness. That's what I want you to do. And what kinds of trees does he, does he plant in the garden? Desirable trees, good trees, you know, trees pleasing to the sight and good for food. The Bible begins with God creating human beings with senses, with appetites, with desires and saying, I want, I created all those things and those things are good and I want you to be filled up. Go crazy, eat your fill. Like in this good world I have made, the the truly Christian life is not one of avoiding pleasure. The truly Christian life is getting serious about pleasure getting really serious about about serious about enjoying life and saying i want to enjoy life as deeply as humanly possible that is what christians are saying as we follow jesus jesus himself actually explicitly says this that this is one of the reasons we should follow him i love the way that eugene peterson translates um, john 10:10 10, 10 in uh, the message bible he says um, he talks about the thief and then he says I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus is saying that I came so that you could have real life, eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. We need to explicitly name this, that following Jesus means pursuing the best possible kind of life. That is what following Jesus is. But we also need to recognize that a lot of times what we mean when we ask the question, how 
how I enjoy life. Most of the times during this week, if that's ever, most of the time it hasn't been formulated that way, but we're all wanting it. Most of the time when I'm wanting, how do I enjoy life? What I'm wanting is to maximize my pleasure. The most amounts of times, like we're hedonistic in this way, so that the maximum number of hours each year in our life is devoted to experiencing some sort of pleasure, whether it's good travel or good sunsets or good sex or good food or like every bit of honey that I can cram into my stomach. I want to enjoy my life to the max. Let's be clear, Jesus is offering the best possible kind of life, but he's not offering necessarily the easiest life. He's not offering the least painful kind of life. He's not offering the life crammed, the stomach crammed with the most honey. (laughs) That will make you vomit. The proverb is right. Um, But honest to God, it is the best possible kind of life. And so, like, this does include that first proverb, eat too much money, or not eat too much money. Gosh, don't eat any. Don't put a nickel in your your mouth. That thing's filthy. Good grief. Um, Eat the honey. Eat too much honey, and and it's going to make you sick. I'm watching... um, this human drama uh, of wanting as much as possible um, play out in the lives of my girls right now. They're five and four right now. And every single meal, they ask the exact same question. When we're done, can we have a treat? Can I get a witness, Joy? Yep, every, every meal. And the answer varies depending on, you know, what circumstances. No, this is breakfast. You can't have a treat after breakfast. We don't, uh, yes, if you eat very well, you can have a treat. Or no, yesterday was Halloween and you literally ate two quarts of sugar. No, no more treats. Uh, our, our answers vary depending on the circumstances, but the question always remains the same. Can we have a treat? <laughs> If, if it were up to them, they would gorge themselves on popsicles and Kit Kats and ice cream until they were sick. Like until that, that would be all that they would eat. There's truth in the proverb about vomiting out too much honey. And then you know who's got to clean up all of that ooey gooey honey vomit? Joy and me. <laughs> we got to do it. And so um, we're trying to teach them slowly over time that life is about, and God is trying to teach us this too, life is about more than just the immediate sensation of good feelings somewhere in your body's senses. In the case of Kit Kats, your tongue and your taste buds. Um, We're trying to teach them that too much of this enjoyment can actually be destructive. It can be destructive. Too much of this enjoyment will actually diminish your enjoyment of other things. That's why we stop them, you know? That's really the problem of anyone getting hooked on anything, is that you're hooked on something that feels good, but it's actually destroying and diminish, it's destroying parts of your life and diminishing your capability and your capacity for pleasure in other areas, whether it's eating too much or drinking too much or sexing too much or working too much or shopping too much or achieving too much, like just, you can't turn it off. One particular pleasure in us ends up getting cancerous. 
is what happens. This particular enjoyment that I like ends up metastasizing. And then the life of endless honey, endless honey, I need lots and lots, winds up being not the best possible kind of life, right? This is any, all of us, all of us have and do struggle with various like patterns and coping and like unhealthy coping mechanisms or addictions in the room. And we all know this, that something can like go out, go and grow to the point where it's diminishing the rest of our life. We've all been there more than we want to, to like admit, but here's the good news. We are loved by God, even when we are retching on pleasure. Even when we are destroying our lives in the pursuit of enjoyment, that that person, the person destroying their life, you destroying your life on pleasure, you are the person who is infinitely loved by the mystery that we call God. You are infinitely loved of infinite value and he is chasing you down and he will not stop until he gets you. And you are the person that Jesus continues to beckon to follow him, to taste. I want you to stop tasting that so much because I want you to taste the best possible kind of life. It's almost gotten hackneyed or become a truism or something like that, but C.S. Lewis put it so well. And so some of you in the room haven't heard it, so we need to put it up on the screen. And those of you of, of us who have heard it, it's just so brilliant and true. Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. There's... <laughs> Nothing wrong with our desire to enjoy life. The problem is we don't, des we don't desire deeply enough enjoying life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is one of the great catechisms of the church. It's a, a document explaining what Christianity is all about. And it puts enjoyment actually front and center, saying that it is what we were made for, is what it says. It says that the chief end of man, like the primary purpose of human life, the, the reason you exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what you were made for. Christians are the enjoy life people. That's, that's what we should be known for in this world. And the Proverbs reflect the reality embedded within the rest of the scripture that our enjoyment of life is actually tied up inextricably. It's just like so tight. Our enjoyment of life is tied up with goodness with goodness. It's not something that we think about very often, but this is actually the way that the story began. We read it just a second ago on page two of the Bible. Page one of the Bible begins with God making, um, he makes the world 
tov, it's good, it's tov, it's tov. Seven times, it's, the author's being very intentional. Seven times the, the, uh, the word good is used and then God creates chapter two when it switches into narrative. God creates tov trees and a garden nestled in the world. And he says, it's good. And then God says, eat the goodness, eat it up. A profound insight in both scripture as a whole and in the Proverbs in particular is this. We find deepest pleasure in doing good. That is actually where our deepest, and in being good. It's like being good and doing good. This is why we're often miserable. It's why we're not enjoying life is uh, even when we get everything we want. Even when we, like, oh, that honey, that honey, that honey, that. And then we find ourselves miserable because we see goodness all around us in God's good creation. The world is good. And all we want to do is consume that goodness, take that goodness, instead of trying to join that goodness. Instead of trying to do and be good in the world. That's... That's actually the story of the, the famous story of the human and his wife in the garden. The man, the woman, human and life are their names. Um, they've got every good thing around them, but they want that. They want to know good and bad is tov and ra is what they want to know. And this knowledge of knowing tov and ra of good and bad, it's not an intrinsically bad thing in the world of the Bible. Good and bad is the language used for wisdom in the scriptures. This is what Solomon prays for in 1 Kings 3. He prays explicitly for a heart to be able to discern between tov and ra, between good and bad. It's, it's not a bad thing that they're wanting. It is a good thing that they want in a wrong way. They're wanting a good thing in the wrong way. I want that. And I want it now, that will increase my enjoyment. That will give me a rush. That will make me more. And in trying to taste, to consume even more goodness, all the goodness I can get, they end up aborting the goodness that they were made for. They end up like canceling it. They end up becoming bad in their pursuit of this goodness. And so a one lightning reflection as we come to the table um, on doing good in Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety in the heart of a man will weigh him down, but a good word will cheer him. This is not the same as Proverbs, I'll repeat it twice, so if any of you want to write it down. This proverb is not the same as Proverbs 15, 30, or 2525. It's not the same as 1530 or 2525. This is this proverb is actually a perfect example of what we said last week that Captain Obvious did not write the proverbs. He didn't. Uh, the first line of this proverb is actually something that none of us enjoy. Anxiety in our heart. 
I'm someone who struggles with anxiety. It's no fun at all. It's, uh, anxiety is not my best life now. <laughs> the first line is something bad within us, but then the second line is that something else will make us feel good, will gladden us, will rejoice us, will make us rejoice. It's actually a play on words right here. Um, the, the weighing down and causing to rejoice, they sound alike in Hebrew. Um, a good word... It's a good word will make us, will gladden us. Both of these Proverbs, um, the ones that I mentioned just a second ago, 1530 and 2525, they're variations of good news, of uh, some sort of good report coming uh, to us from the outside. Like it's, uh, when you get good news, it is like, uh, it like thickens your bones is what one of them says. When you get good news from a, from a far way, it's like, it like quenches the thirst of your soul. It's like cold water to your soul. But here the proverb just says a good word and news is something from the outside, right? News is something from the outside, but where does a good word come from? It's like what this like, little micro poem is asking us. It's wanting to like, maybe it comes from someone else's mouth, but just as likely it comes from my mouth. It doesn't specify where the good word comes from. My anxious heart within my chest may weigh me down, but a good word leaving my lips will actually cheer me up. I was made to do good. <laughs> I'm actually not dependent on someone bringing me good. I can actually choose to give good to other people. And then suddenly, in doing good, I'm enjoying my life. Earlier this week, um, I logged onto social media, like we do, and I saw a post that made me feel like I was missing out. You've been there, right? Like, I saw smiling face. It was like, and I, this doesn't happen to me very often, but I saw this picture of smiling faces of beloved friends at a beautiful place close by, and I had not been invited. <laughs> Anyone been there, right? Like, you're like, wait a second. Suddenly my, my, my heart is like going into overdrive of anxiety. Like, why was I not invited? And why, why was he invited? <laughs> like, is our, is our friendship waning? And like, am I forever on the outside? And can I never get on the inside? And when the, within the span of like one minute, I'm like throwing a pity parade for myself and I'm trying to figure out like what's wrong with me and how can I be more likable and like and who else like who who knows what else I'm thinking but then the very next thing on my calendar for that particular day was visiting a congregant of New Life who was in the hospital recovering from surgery the very next thing on my calendar. And I've been thinking about him all week and praying for him through this surgery. And it was like a serious surgery. And I could finally get to go see him. And so I did it. And do you want to know something? The good word that I brought him ended up calming the storm within me and lifting my anxiety. 
Suddenly, I wasn't in the foggy fantasy of being alienated from my friends. That's just a narrative that I've created in my head. I've just like, they just happen to be having a good time together. Knocking on that hospital door, doing good, stepping into the goodness, participating in the goodness that God has designed us all to be participants in. Knocking on that hospital door was the most peace and joy I felt all week that moment of being like, here I am. So we could say it this way, try losing yourself and doing good. You'll find joy. You'll find joy. We want to enjoy life, and the good news is that God wants the same thing for us. It's just that God desires it more than we do. He desires our enjoyment and our pleasure more than we do. There is a world of difference between enjoying any particular moment of immediate sensory gratification and finding lasting joy in all of life. There's a world of difference between these two. And Jesus is drawing us into the second of those is what he's doing. Jesus doesn't promise that every single moment or season of our lives is going to be enjoyable. He doesn't. In fact, it's just the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble, but there is joy to be found. More and better life than we ever dared to dream. But very few of us get serious about finding this joy. Very few of us get really serious about enjoying life. Take a second and consider what, you can close your eyes if you want, but consider what is preoccupying you. Find whatever it is that you've been thinking about all week or all month or all year and hold it in your mind for, for just a second. Maybe it's something at work, something in your family, some goal you've got, whatever that is. Jesus cares about the way you feel about that. And Jesus is saying to us, to win, you've got to lose. To be fulfilled, you've got to forget about yourself and think about the other. To enjoy our life, we've got to surrender it. To find joy, we've got to serve I don't know how that plays out in those situations, but that is the invitation to enjoy life. You've got to serve. I know how hard this is. I live it. I live with it. I know how crazy it sounds, but it's the very heart of following Jesus. Jesus, Hebrews 12 tells us, the originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for joy, for enjoying life that Jesus lost, that he gave up, that he suffered, that he died, that he allowed himself to be exited. His joy was filled up as he thought about others. As he thought about us, he saw all of us lost and confused and sick and rebellious and eating mud pies in the slums of misery. And he said, I will serve them. I will save them. 
And then, forgetting about himself, he pioneered a trail that cuts straight through death, straight through the heart of hell, and out the other side, and thinking of us, serving us, wrapping a towel around his waist, and making the way for us, that brought him joy. And if we are really serious about enjoying life, about finding joy ourselves, we've got to realize that there is no direct flight into the land of joy. There's no direct flight into the land of joy. Landing in joy requires the connecting flight of servanthood. It requires it. And so let's stand together. If you're new here, we're... This is the climax of our service where we receive from the table of Jesus and the bread and the juice, the elements are in baskets near your chairs. I'm not good at servanthood. I'm not, I keep trying. By God's grace, maybe I'm better than I once was. The good news, the gospel this morning is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cares about your deep pleasure. He cares about your enjoyment of life more than you do. And he loves you even in your retching on pleasure, even when you have filled up on the wrong things, when you have sinned, when you have messed up when you have been broken and continued to live in brokenness again and again, his concern about your ultimate fulfillment has not waned. It has not diminished. He is here and he is inviting us to his table to fill up on his life his life of servanthood. He continues to serve us so that we can be servants who actually taste the ultimate joy that beats behind and holds together the universe. And so Jesus, we ask right now in this moment that you would make us get serious about enjoying life that you would fill us up with joy that lasts. We've been so tired. We're so tired of chasing the next hit, the next high, the next rush of pleasure that does not last. We ask that you would fill us up with something sustaining, something that sticks to the stomach of our souls and carries us through this life in joy. We ask that you'd fill us up with yourself, with your very life right now. We remember that on the night you were handed over to suffering and death, you fed us, you hosted a meal, you broke bread, and you gave it to your disciples, to us here right now, you are in this place, and you're giving it to us, and you're saying, take, eat, this will fill you up. This kind of life will bring you joy. This is my body and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember you, Jesus, what you did and that you are here. And we remember who you are 
and that you are the only person who has enjoyed life so much that death couldn't hold you, that you burst out the other side and we say we want that life in us. And so get it into us, we ask and pray. You may receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup and having given thanks for the cup, he uh, shared it with us, with the people who were learning from him, with his disciples. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood. It's the cup of the new covenant and it's my blood poured out for you for the remission of your sins. I know that you've retched all over and that your life is a mess. I clean it up. I'm the one who cleans up the mess. You are new. Life does not have to continue the way it has. Tomorrow can be different than yesterday. This is my blood of the new covenant washing away your sins and it is for you. And you are invited to hear Jesus and to trust him. It's for you. You may receive the cup. And so Jesus, we are tired of making mud pies. We're tired of half-hearted attempts at enjoying life. We want to drink your joy straight with no ice. We want, and we want a chaser of more joy. And so fill us up with that. Fill us up with your life. We're tired of consuming the wrong things. Fill us up with your servant's heart. And we thank you that you are. You are filling us up slowly and transforming us into servants who can taste joy. And so we praise you. We lift you high right now and we sing your praise in the name that is above every name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's sing, dear church.